This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the Manley Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of North Central Florida in God's country. On a kind of dreary morning, it's okay though. It's a morning, that's what's good about it. And uh, we are, of course, in the uh, Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators and protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by the great sponsors you see. Please patronize them. They patronize and help us. And thanks to those of you who support us from time to time. We appreciate all that. Today is Open Line Friday. That means any of you can call in about anything. And uh, I'll try to make the best of it. So don't worry about it. We'll make it work. Uh, we are at Doug Whitaker down in Mexico catching our act today. Yeah, thank Doug. Uh, Doug is the most operated on human being that I know of, having just gone through an Achilles tendon operation. Uh, they keep whittling on him, and they'll keep whittling on him right out to the other end. Of course, I'm not anybody to talk. Uh, so good luck uh, with everything going on with you, Doug. Um, we are, uh, of course... Uh, well, I saw, you know, odds and ends. So, so there's no rhyme or reason to what I'm presenting here. It's whatever strikes yours true's fancy. I did see in a, the research team sends me a lot of stuff. Thank you very much for that. And so many of you out there stay in touch with me and send me things that you'd like my opinion on off the air or to uh, take a look at on the air. I ran across something where I don't have the article with me. I didn't have time to pull it up. But one of you all sent it to me. That uh, local news is making a comeback, and we've been right there supplying local local news as much as we can for you. Now there's something called Main Street News USA, good publication, and a logical chronicle. So the three of us, I think, and sometime every once in a while, the Gainesville Sunset, and the Gainesville Sunset. Um, liberal. I think they've tried to clean that up because they get so many stories wrong if they approach it strictly from a liberal point of view. Uh, I got to I got to tell you that I don't approach with a view so much as I let the view be informed by what I see in the article. Sometimes I know more about the story though than you're seeing, and one of those stories um, is. Um, about the sheriff's office. And, and let me make a a disclaimer right up front. I've known all, all the sheriffs way back, you know, Lou Henry and and uh, you know quite a number of years back. Um and the police chiefs, quite a number of them all the way back. Not just in Gainesville, but other towns as well. And there is a story 
more than has been told about Sheriff Clovis, Clovis Watson Jr.'s resigning early from the sheriff's office. It has to do with, to some extent, between Kramer and Watson. Now, this is not the first time this has happened. In Marion County, it happened between a state attorney, I think, whose name was Brad King, and the sheriff, who was Chris Blair. Those two operate, the sheriff and the state attorney, hand in glove quite frequently. And sometimes they go back quite a ways. And sometimes each knows more about the other than can ever be let on. We're doing a a story on that Watson-Kramer relationship at some point when we get it all right and get all the parts in because it's the community. The community and politicians have a strange relationship. The politicians almost never this is an overextension probably are candid and level with the community because there's always power there's always political parties there's always political bosses in the picture take it from me I know believe me I've been there And right now, Emory Ganey, who is an interim Republican sheriff, appointed by the governor, who's Republican, replacing a, an elected Democrat sheriff, whom a state attorney Republican has been behind the scenes, let's put it that way, at odds with. From what we have learned. I do know this though, and this made me think of it. When Emory Ganey, whom I know very well, announced that the Sheriff's Department was opening an office in Hawthorne. And I've been on the receiving end of this kind of slight, so don't 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 read it wrong. And made no mention, no mention of who set that up and how long that had been in the works. Used the royal we, meaning he and whoever else, on 
whatever else staff. None of which is the staff that set it up. In its form, it was then. That sheriff's office in Hawthorne, Newberry, places like this that were discussed and was done almost a year ago by Watson. He ran on that. That was one of the planks in his platform. As if you elect me, Sheriff, I will establish offices in the towns that have no police protection, of which Hawthorne was one. Now go back and look at all of the announcements that have been made in the last 24, 48, however many hours, with Ganey, the interim Republican sheriff, implying not by a falsehood of commission, but by one of omission. Now, I ask you as a voter, would you think more or less of Ganey as a politician if he had been honest about it? By honest, I mean this is the result of at least a year's work of which 99% I had nothing to do with. But I'm happy to see it to fruition. That would have been an honest way to say it. But it wasn't said that way. So I put that out there because I doubt you know that. I doubt any of you know that. The preparation for a Alachua County Sheriff's presence in Hawthorne was done by the previous sheriff who resigned under mysterious cloud, which we're going to look into a little bit more. Did that person deserve acknowledgement for having set those wheels in motion? Now, I had this happen to me. I've had it happen to me. The muckety-mucks want to take credit. If it were, I'm going to be just very candid for you with you. If it were not for yours truly looking at him, there would not be a Santa Fe college in the city of Alachua. I'm not going to go into that story now. But at the presentation, the big muckety-muck presentation, the muckety-mucks 
president of the college, the mayor, all proudly took credit for that. Well, of course they deserve some credit. They helped make it happen. But they didn't go out on a limb and say, we're going to make it happen, as I did in the very beginning. And then go to them and say, now help me. It never went down that way. I sat in the audience, never heard my name mentioned. I don't mind that. That's not me running for a public office. I'm talking about particularly people who are in a public office. What do they tell you and what do they not tell you that they should tell you? There is something going on. I'm not too particularly interested in it. I've already talked about it. Between Dion McGraw and Tina Certain. That has manifested itself in somebody, quote unquote, a mother, quote unquote, who is not detached from that personality, if you will, conflict between those two, McGraw and Certain, who is never addressed it publicly, but who has used it to throw on problem into the Gainesville High Club that is attempting to help black males get interested in what black males consider to be white education, which is public education. You don't know that. You don't hear it. But it certainly changes the story. Meanwhile, the problem remains. How do you get people from a culture that is not high on education interested in education? You wouldn't have the problem of which we know with Asians. And I've given you the story quite a number of times about the free learning lab at Santa Fe College. You can't keep the Asians, male or female, out. You can't get the black males to get anywhere near it. And it's free. Tutors. Here's my Santa Claus coffee cup filled with caliber coffee. Now, this is odds and ends Friday. 
this may strike you as odd. It is really odd, except it's normal. It's sort of normal for politicians to take credit for something they didn't do. And to not recognize credit for somebody. Look, look, Biden is never given Trump any credit for anything. And we know there's a lot of things that has have been deliberately confused about Trump. People attack his personality. They never bring up his policies. Why? Because they're pretty good policies. Pretty good thing. Make America great again. Pretty good stuff. Keystone Pipeline. So on odds and ends Friday, here's another one. The Harvard president. And we know how she got to be president. She jumped on an academic interest, African-American studies, and all that that involves. All that that involves. And started plugging away at it, writing papers about it. The only problem is, she ripped other writers. In fact, there's one black writer there, lady, that she ripped off who's angry as heck about this. And rather than come down on her for quote-unquote plagiarism, which is the theft of someone else's intellectual property without giving them any remittance for it, They've changed, and they don't call it Harvard now, plagiarism. They call it citation errors. I taught the subject. I taught the subject. What this woman has violated. Citations. You either quote directly or you paraphrase. And if you quote directly, you cite, you paraphrase and take somebody's ideas, put them in your your own language in the sentence, you cite. After a while, the idea is in the public, what's called the public domain, and doesn't need citation. So if you're to talk about, let's use this as an example, the Theory of evolution. The theory of evolution has been in a public domain for a long time. So we don't need to put in citations. It was Darwin's idea. At some point, the awareness and the discussion and the study of evolution has become so omnisciently done omnipresently done, ubiquitously done, 
that you don't need to say, and by the way, it was Darwin's theory. So, at what point does something pass into the public domain? That's become an interesting question. Because today, with the internet, ideas tend to pass into the public domain pretty quickly. When did the term climate change become a term everybody uses? Well, it has to have had a moment when somebody came up with it because it used to be global warming. Somehow, some way, someday, some moment, somebody said, well, let's call it climate change. We don't need to go find out who that was unless we're picking up a specific idea from that specific presentation that occurred at that moment. So what Harvard is calling plagiarism is duplicative language without appropriate attribution. Harvard has invented a brand new term. I have all sorts of manuals here in uh, the man cave about citations. That is not in them. Duplicative language without appropriate attribution. This notation occurred with loiters. So the president of Holland, rather than be fired or demoted, what you would typically fail a student paper for, you follow this? The Harvard president, Oh, no man or woman, let's put woman in there too, is above the law. Oh, really? How much money you got? How much influence you got? We'll decide whether you're above the law or not. So if you're the problem, a president of Harvard, and particularly if you are black, as Jason Riley is. You would not you would not have the same law applied to you. And Jason Riley tells us why. He begins his article on December 20th. Why did the University of Pennsylvania hold Liz McGill to a higher standard than Harvard is holding Claudine Gay. 
both presidents were guilty of indulging anti-Semitism on campus, repeatedly equivocating on what should have been a straightforward response to the October 7th terrorist attack on Israel and embarrassing their institutions when testifying before Congress. Yet, M.S. Gay has kept her job. M.S. McGill has been shown to the door. You don't need a Harvard degree to understand that M.S. Gay, the school's first black president, advances the diversity imperatives of her institution in ways that M.S. McGill, who is white, doesn't. That is right out of Jason Riley's article. If you ever wondered if there's a double standard, you have living proof of it. Living proof of it. McGill is gone. Gay stays. Furthermore, Jason Riley writes that anyone suggesting that MS Gay deserves the same treatment as MS McGill stands accused of racism by liberal elites to maintain that all black people, not named Clarence Thomas, are off limits to criticism. And the reason I bring up Clarence Thomas. You know what's going to happen if the Supreme Court rules in favor of Trump in Colorado. They're going to go after the Supreme Court. The same people who fired McGill but protected gay. Is that odd? Or is that just normal? No man is above the law. The theft of intellectual property is a violation. It's a law broken. It's amazing how furthermore Riley points out that more than 80 black faculty members at Harvard signed a letter stating that, quote, any suggestion that her selection as president was the result of a process that elevated an unqualified person based on considerations of race and gender are specious and politically motivated, end quote. In other words, we can accuse you of racism as blacks, whites, 
But you whites cannot accuse us blacks. Black racists, you know, are all over the place. I can give you 10 right now that I know personally. Jason Roddick, black guy. Well, no white could write that column. They don't dare, dare go after Riley. Riley's a real deal. Riley says that MS gays academic protection shows the protection as well for diversity, equity, and inclusion. When she was in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, she created an expansive initiative on inequality in America. Riley says that MS Gay's administrative experience and scholarly credentials don't begin to match those of other people in similar positions. MS Gill, McGill, who was shown the door, was dean of Stanford's law school, provost of the University of Virginia, and a clerk for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg before she was picked to run the University of Pennsylvania. We'll be right back with the weather. Odds and ends, my friends. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. All right, coach. Last year, the best party in Gator Nation was a Spurrier's Bison's Rooftop. But now, we're in 23, we're celebrating this year what the restaurant has planned for this year, New Year's Eve. That's right. We got usual great food here at Spurrier's. We got 
wonderful music, and it's the best way to ring in 2024. It's going to be Advisors Rooftop Bar from 7 through midnight to about 1 a.m. we got elevated hors d'oeuvres. we got sparkling wine pairings. We're going to dance to the DJ Elio here all through the night. Got to be 21 and older, but the tickets are going fast. And so how much are the tickets for? The Visor Party tickets are $125 a piece, and trust me, you'll get your money's worth. Now, Coach, where can we purchase the ticket? You can purchase the tickets at www.spurriers.com. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward's Weather. Brought to you by Lewis Oil Chevron Station's Fossil Fuel. Well, just to let you know before I forget it, we will not be broadcasting Monday and Tuesday of next week. Take a little break. And did you know that yesterday was winter solstice? Here where we are in our parts of the universe, the shortest day of the year. Isn't it amazing how quickly that came? And now we'll begin working our way, trudging our way back towards summer. But we are in the middle of winter now, starting in winter. We won't be out of it until March. So we'll get a little bit of cold here in January and February, but not a lot. That's why people come to Florida. So there's a lot of stuff to read about winter solstice. It's very interesting. Um, just to give you a little thing, 
It is when the sun is at its southernmost point in the sky. Um, if you take a more cosmic perspective, the Earth's northern axis is tipped the farthest from the sun that it gets all year. Um, we call that the moment the salt of solstice, and it is considered to be the beginning of winter. There you are, my friends. Talking about beginning. Plantation Mark. What are you doing, brother? Hey, good morning, Ward. What are you up to, buddy? Hello. Hello. Oh, I just, uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I said, uh, yeah, I was out there at daylight this morning looking for Mr. Bear, but uh, one thing I wanted to bring up real quick was uh, that uh, Governor Yonkin up here had tried through the legislature to uh, end personal property tax in Virginia. And I came to find out yesterday that we're like one seat short in the House again now in Virginia. And uh, the Democrats still have the Senate. So uh, he was pretty much shot, uh, shot to pieces trying to change some of the tax laws and uh, make it more amenable to live here in Virginia, kind of like Florida and Tennessee and some of the other states. So it just shows you Democrats don't want to do nothing, and none of the counties want to give up their thiefdoms and uh, the money they get from uh, personal property tax because uh, a couple of years ago the, the loggers had gone down and uh, protested them because farmers get a break, and the... Uh, Loggers were being charged uh, for the million-dollar machines to go out there and cut and harvest timber. I, I don't even know what the resolution was, but I, I hope they took the tax off of that machinery because we've got a few big logging companies here in the county. Well, I've seen those big machines. They're impressive. Wow. Powerful. Well, I'm getting ready to talk about the Civil War. Um I think you'll find it interesting, Mark, um, particularly there where you are in Virginia. Um, and um, I've been talking for quite a while from time to time about how many parallels there are in our national climate right now with those of pre-Civil War in 1861 and 60. Um uh, it's amazing how many things are very similar. So uh, let me know if you got anything else to say. If not, give this an ear and chime in if there's anything strikes your fancy. Okay, Ward. Well, uh, what I want to say is Merry Christmas to all you guys, and we'll be back here Wednesday, and hopefully Ted will be here. And uh, we're going to be scorched earth out here hunting for the next two weeks, and then the hunting season will be over. So you guys have a good weekend, a good Christmas, and uh, I'll be listening. You too, Mark, a great supporter of the show, you guys. He has been right there in our corner uh, for quite a while. And uh, he's a, a, he's the real deal. You know, he's a master chief, 30-some years in the Navy. So now living in really the woods uh, pretty much independently. 
Well, as I was speaking with Mark a moment ago, the similarities I found actually on the Senate website. I think if you go to Senate.gov, you will find what I'm talking about here. That's where I found this. And it's a very good document to support in summary fashion what I've been pretty familiar with because I've been a student of Southern literature all my life. And you cannot read Faulkner. You cannot read Peter Taylor. Uh, you cannot read uh, the Southern writers. Uh, these people, without being fully aware of how badly mauled, I'm going to use that verb, the story of the Civil War is. It's only told by people right now who know nothing about it. It's told as if what they say is so, and it's never investigated. It's never looked at. It's never researched. If I had to fault the media for anything, it's how lazy they are. How they don't know how to look behind the curtain at the story. So this I'm going to go through with you. You can find on Senate.gov in our public records of the United States Senate. I'm going to go through it with you. Because here's what's getting me. The constitutional sentence, the sentence that's in the Constitution, was put there by the Yankees who won the war. They didn't want the possibility of debate coming up again as presented by those guys who presented it before the war are those types of guys. So they're just going to exclude them. So they disqualified them. It's sort of like right now. If you're for Trump, you're going to be disqualified. Period. We're not going to let you even on the ballot. If you have a different view of the Civil War than we the winners did, We're not going to let you back in Congress. That's basically what is going on now. Censorship. We're not even going to let the people vote on you. Except the language that they used to exclude those post-Civil War guys doesn't apply to Trump. It hasn't been found to be so. Say Fendendo. Or as the clowns say in Hamlet, say a Fendendo. 
the finding is always offensive. The war started. The only way to help you understand this, we keep Guantanamo in Cuba. That's an American piece of property. We keep it there. And if Cuba ever fired on Guantanamo, we would have an excuse. I don't know if we'd have the will because we're so weak now, to go after Cuba for attacking the United States. Okay? When I was in Europe, I don't know if it still is, but on the passport that I carried, this is in the 70s, said this is a United States citizen. He is the property of the United States. Mess with him and you will have to mess with the United States government. On November 6, 1860, the Republican Party came to national power. Abraham Lincoln was elected president by a strictly, strictly northern vote. Four days later, on November 10th, Senator James Chestnut resigned his Senate seat and returned home to South Carolina to draft an ordinance of succession. And one day later, South Carolina's James Hammond also pledged to support the Confederacy, quote, with all the strength I have, end quote. Now, when these events happened, the Senate convened the second session of the 36th Congress on December 3rd, 1860. And the succession crisis grew with each passing week, forcing the Senate to deal with vacant seats and diminishing quorums. When Mississippi voted to succeed on January 9th, Senator Jefferson Davis issued a warning, quote, if you desire at this last moment to avert civil war, so be it, end quote, he told his colleagues. And then, if you will not have it thus, a war is to be inaugurated, the like of which men have not seen. Six more senators were gone by the end of January, and three others left in February. Eventually, 25 of the Senate's 66 members left 
to support the Confederate cause. Even Vice President Breckinridge walked out, although his state of Kentucky remained loyal to the Union. So long before Lincoln resupplied Fort Sumter, the Senate had its own civil war. But by the time Lincoln took office on March the 4th, 1861, rumors were circulating of a threatened Confederate attack on Fort Sumter. So the Northern Republicans, you had Southern Republicans, you had Northern Republicans, backed by an abolitionist press, you had a meddlesome press then, demanded military action. And the battle cry became, according to the Senate record here, reinforce Fort Sumter at all hazards. Lincoln would not reinforce Fort Sumter with weapons. He reinforced it with food. The shot heard around the world should never have been fired. The Confederates, of course, this is hindsight. This is more Monday morning game armchair analysis. Should have sat there and let Lincoln resupply it with food and never fired a shot. But the northern forces had to come across the territorial integrity of the state of South Carolina. That's an act of aggression. And so, at 4.30 a.m. on April 12, 1861, Confederate troops fired on Fort Sumter. The real Civil War. The Senate record argues did not take place or start on April 12th. It started on November 6th when Lincoln was elected. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you were a smart politician and you had a smart handler, you would draw parallels between Donald Trump and Abraham Lincoln like you've never seen.
they get the black vote. It ain't going to happen. But it's right there. It's right there. It's right there to be used. You can look it up too. You can look it up too. Got the phone line open. Anybody want to chime in on that? Florida State, supposedly this morning, according to Atlantic, Florida State is having an emergency meeting with his board of trustees this morning to take legal action against the Atlantic Coast Conference. The players are complaining that they were boxed out of the playoff because the ACC the Florida State players, is perceived as a weak football conference. It was definitely not a weak basketball conference. So a discussion is beginning that would not necessarily mean that the Seminoles are committed to leaving the ACC. And furthermore, there are no assurances that the 16-team SEC or the 18-team Big Ten would invite them. And FSU does not want to go independent. There's no future for them independent. But a trustee who is a former quarterback for the FCC, for uh, uh, Florida State, is quoted as saying, it's not a matter of if we leave the ACC, in my opinion. It's a matter of how and when we leave. Not everyone may agree with that, but I feel really strongly about it. So they are going to talk about an exit plan to leave the ACC. But they don't have anywhere to go.
don't have anywhere to go. Well, there's another couple of odd stories, but I won't get into them now. Really don't have the time. Um, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holiday. And um, thank you for listening and patronizing us and spreading the word. I want to thank the production guy, our good buddy Zach, production people, Reaper Productions. And, um, you know, hope you uh, have a safe and happy holiday. We'll return on Wednesday with Wonderful Wednesday with Ted Yoho. And um, between now and then, we'll put our feet up and have a toddy for the body and hope you have the same thing. Merry Christmas. Or Merry happy. I've got to cover all the holidays. So happy holidays for everybody. Lord, I'll commence center out.